Hello everyone and welcome to our study of Acts, Lesson 2. This is Andrea Schlock and obviously this is from Community Bible Study on Thursday mornings. Hopefully you're all able to attend when you can, but if you can't, uh, this should help. We're, we're trying to figure out how the best way is to record this. We're really not set up to do a podcast type situation or anything with with awesome you know, re- uh, voice quality and recording sound. We're just doing the best we can, and hopefully it helps get you through the ones you missed. So today I want to start with our Bible study devotion that is written by our lovely Marilyn Stargard, who is down in Florida. Hello, Marilyn. I hope you're listening. And she has graciously um, accepted my invitation to write our devotions for the study of Acts. The reason I asked her is just because... For me, and by the way, she's going to get embarrassed of this, but it's true. For me, she's one of those women that I really stand on her shoulders um, and get a lot of inspiration from her. And so when I teach, I used to get very intimidated by the women that I that I know through Community Bible Class and, and through Redeemer that do such a wonderful job, and I feel are so filled by the Holy Spirit. But I realize I don't need to be intimidated by them. Um, they don't intimidate me. They lift me up on their shoulders. And Marilyn is just uh, so special to me. So um, last week, you probably did not get the devotion. If you're listening, if you had to listen to that one on on our Podbean um, tape, because we uh, when I was recording it, it just it didn't pick up the first part of that. And we're learning, like I said, different ways to recording. So hopefully this helps. But we are also going to copy all of her devotions and have them available that, so that you can uh, pick those up. And if you're down in Florida, you can contact me through, through Patty Schmidt and her, um, her emails, and we can get you a copy of, of these so you can keep them in your Bible. And next time you go study Acts, you can use those. So I want to start with that today. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Acts shows us countless examples of the apostles and disciples of Christ, speaking in tongues, performing miracles, healing the infirmed. We may not have experienced these gifts, but if we are Christians and true believers, the Holy Spirit has dwelt in our hearts and souls since we are blessed with the sacrament of baptism. He opened the vault to our inner being, that mysterious, mystic cavern in the soul where he placed the essence of Christ. Unlike the time of Pentecost and Acts, most of us have not experienced tongues of fire or a multitude of languages, but we may have felt the presence of the Lord in the wings of the Holy Spirit. The story is told of a young girl studying for a high school class called the Bible. Can you imagine this in today's schools? Counterculture, critical race theory, social justice scientists. Nevertheless, she was deeply immersed in Galatians and Ephesians. When a sudden stillness, a perfect wave of beauty and light came over her. At once she felt at peace, content and awed by the beauty of the words she was reading. There was no fear, no anxiety, no doubt. There was only a feeling of breathtaking bliss and tranquility. And the sense there was something or someone much greater and more beautiful than anything the world could ever offer. The Holy Spirit had found the window to her soul. You have made known for me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Acts 2.28. Let us pray. 
I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Ephesians 3, 16 to 17. Thank you, Marilyn. And I just wanted you to know that today, uh, this is actually not being taped live because we had a great system set up on my phone last week as our try number two on how to tape this. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, I it was taping wonderfully and then didn't realize that my phone is set up to turn off after a certain amount of time when it's not being used and you're not touching it and everything. So we got a wonderful 11 minutes. So I'm actually doing this for my kitchen table this morning. So it'll be a little different without that back and forth um, of having the, the class with us. But um, I think we will hopefully get something out of it. Uh, there, each week there's going to be a little overlap because I sum up a little bit from the week before for people, especially in class, that kind of missed a week but haven't listened to this. So um, excuse me if it's stuff you've heard before. And I also just want to remind you that um, kind of how I teach that's comfortable for me, but we're really going to do a, a lot of verse-by-verse -verse study of the books of Acts. Um, we're not going to be able to do that for the whole thing in eight weeks because at the rate I'm going, uh, we need a lot more than eight weeks. But for most of it, it's kind of a verse-by-verse -verse study. And we're really going to look back at the Old Testament and the history of the Jewish people, especially when we talk about Peter's uh, ministry, because he's ministering to the Jews. And the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the feasts of the Old Testament. So for the Jewish people, if that Old Testament God and that New Testament God don't mesh, if they're not the same person, it's game over. So that's why you see Peter so much talk about the Old Testament to Jewish people because they understand um, the Old Testament. They would have memorized the Old Testament and know it really well. So he needs to do that. When we get to the Apostle Paul, we're going to see him take a different approach. And then we're going to talk a lot about the the culture of, of the Gentiles at the time and, and why certain things that he said are more appropriate for that. In our study last week, just to go over it quickly, the, uh, we pick up Luke's narrative of the life of Jesus. Luke um, again, is the only Gentile to write in the new, in the Bible. He's the only Gentile, and he's written Luke and Acts, and that put together is is quite a big portion of the New Testament. So it's a narrative. Um, it kind of bridges between the Gospels and the Epistles. The Epistles are letters, and then and also you have Revelations at the end, obviously. But this is just a narrative. This happened. This happened. This happened. This happened, and so. Again, ideally, it's really great if you want to do this chronologically. And as we're studying Peter, you're also reading uh, the epistles he wrote, um, you know, the letters of Peter. Same with Paul. You read the, the letters that he wrote to the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Romans, and so on, because it really puts it into perspective. For our study, we're not doing that. Um, hopefully, maybe next year we can get to one of the epistles, because like I said, they are more fun to teach. You get all the good bits out of those. Um, but we're really on uh, this happened, this happened, they went here, they went here kind of thing. But um, we've been really able to pull out some good stuff from that anyways. And then we talked about how they were in the upper room after the ascension of Jesus and um, waiting for his return. They were kind of thinking it's going to happen very soon. They picked the um, disciple to replace um, Judas. They picked Matthias. 
And now we're um, starting chapter two today, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. The question I posed last week for you to think about was where this happened. Because I, I think I remember from Sunday school pictures from from studying this before or hearing it be told to me, it seemed to me like it, it kind of still happened in the upper room because it talks about them being in a room. Um, I think this Pentecost, the miracle of Pentecost, from my study, I think it happened in the temple. But there are learned people on both sides of that issue. The upper room is probably the same upper room that they were in uh, for the Last Supper. They were in Jerusalem because of Passover, one of the three feasts that you have to come to Jerusalem for as a believer. But now we're um, going to have the Feast of Pentecost, which is also another feast that you need to come to Jerusalem for, as uh, set out by Jewish law. It's also, again, the Feast of Shabbat or the Feast of Weeks. This is going to be 50 days after Passover. So the Jerusalem Jews, they were already there. Obviously, they lived there. But there's Jews from all over coming to Jerusalem. And they probably stayed because in 50 days back then, you could just take a jet and go home and come back again. So that's why we're going to see that there's so many Jews in, um, in Jerusalem at the time. So the reason I think it was in the temple, I will get to in a minute. But I want to start by just... Uh, reading um, the beginning of chapter two, and then we're going to take a little, uh, we're going to diverge a little bit and talk a lot about the, what the Holy Spirit means throughout the Bible. So Acts chapter two, starting at verse one, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Okay, kind of take this word by word a little bit, but it says the sound of a wind. It wasn't a wind, it was a sound. So it really got their attention, but it was not an actual wind. It filled the whole house. Now, house here, yes, it could mean the upper room or it could mean the temple. Now, an upper room is where they would be staying, like how the houses in Jerusalem where you had the, the main floor was where the family lived, and then you had an upper room was where guests would stay. So they could probably were still renting the same upper room that when Jesus was there for um, and instituted the Lord's Supper. And then underneath, just as a side note, you probably have where the stable was kind of built into the side of the hill and this rocky hill and your animals would be down there. And if you were in Redeemer on Christmas Eve and um, my husband Randy, just when he preached, just kind of blew that theory open about the innkeeper, really when you're going back to um, the original language of the Bible, it it probably was not an inn. They, there was no room for them in the upper room, which would make more sense. That's where you would go to one of your family members, the people that you knew. There was no room anymore to rent in the upper room, so they went down to the bottom level to the stable. But that is is, is really another side note for another day. When it says that um, they were sitting, that means they were learning. When you're standing, that means that you are praying. So sitting, they're learning. Again, the whole house. House could be upper room language or temple language. Verse three, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galilean? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews in conference to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declare the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Okay, we see here the Holy Spirit pouring out a gift. His gift here is the speaking in tongues. When we hear speaking of tongues, there has what there is is two things going on here. The Spirit has to work in both people. So we have we have the the apostles speaking in tongues in a different in in a language that's not their native language. It's the native language of the hearer. The hearer also has to understand it. So someone's speaking in tongues and it's just gibberish and there's no one here to, there to hear it in their own language. That's where there's an issue. But here we know it's from the Holy Spirit because there were speakers and there were hearers hearing it in their tongue. They probably had a language in common. It would it would make most sense. They, they all probably understood how to read Hebrew because that would have been the language of the Old Testament. And even probably had some languages that they would understand uh, in common. Um, the people of the time would speak Arabic. They probably understood that in common, possibly. But this is going deeper than just a language they all had in common. This is their own native language, uh, specific to the place they came from. And they were all hearing it in, in that. Uh, we talked last week about how this Feast of Weeks, which is called Pentecost now in the New Testament because it's a Greek word, but this is not a new festival. This is not the beginning of Pentecost. Pentecost has been there since um, the, the children of Israel were in the wilderness and, and the Lord instituted all these festivals for them. So uh, again, it's also called the Feast of Weeks or Shavat, and it celebrates the giving of the law. There are scholars that say, and I can't verify this with my own study. These are people that have studied it a lot longer than I have. But they say that on the at the mountain when when Moses gave the Ten Commandments to the people, that there was also this miracle of speaking in tongues so they could all understand it in their native tongue. You think, well, why wouldn't they all be just speaking in the same language? But don't forget, there were slaves with them. There were people from other countries. It wasn't just the Hebrew people that were going out of there. So I'm not sure if that's true, but it really makes sense because of all the similarities between the Feast of Weeks and and this new uh, this. Uh, festival of Pentecost that's going to take on a whole new meaning in the New Testament, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So uh, that, that could be something. Um, and we're going to get into a minute how there's even more of a similarity, similarity between the two festivals from the Old Testament and the New Testament that a lot of people overlook. So we see the, the speaking of tongues, the people are understanding it. Again, that's why I think they're in the temple. There's, there's, we're going to see in a minute there's a lot of them. And uh, this is a feast that, again, not new. If, if these people were in Jerusalem for the sake of being there at the Feast of Pentecost, they're not going to just be hanging around the streets. They're going to be at the temple. And so that's one of the reasons why I feel it's at the temple. The other one, as comes in the next verse, it says, Some, however, made fun of them and said they, they have had too much wine. In a few verses, we're going to see that 
they, that doesn't make sense because it is said that it's too early in the morning. Um, and two things happen there that the, the Jews would not have broken their fast that early in the morning, but also it's indicating it's morning. So if it's morning on the Feast of Pentecost, they're probably most likely going to be in the temple. Still more reasons to come, but that's another reason why I think this happened actually in the temple. And the upper room would probably not be that far away from the temple. So now we're kind of looking at the Holy Spirit. I want to take a step back and look at the Holy Spirit's role throughout the Bible because we call this book Acts. It's the Acts of the Apostles, mostly Peter and Paul, but really it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This book is just really how the Holy Spirit is now going to be indwelling in people and growing the church through that. The Holy Spirit is instrumental in the growing of the church. But the Holy Spirit was always present in the Bible, just kind of in different ways we see in the Old Testament. He was involved when we read the verses in the rebirth, and there was a, a temporary indwelling, whereas of now in the New Testament, we see this permanent indwelling. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, we see him restraining man's sinfulness and also equipping people for service. So I'm going to read the Bible verses. When we have class... And I have people in the class read the Bible verses. I'm aware that sometimes it's going to be harder for you to hear that uh, because of just the way we record. So I'll always make sure to say the verse out loud so you can follow along in your own Bible. But we first see in Genesis 1, 2, 1, 1 and 2, right away, right off the bat, creation, the Holy Spirit is present. He's always there. We hear a lot about God the Father, God the Son, but the Holy Spirit is there from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Next, we see Exodus 31, 1 to 5. I love this. This is where the Lord, the Holy Spirit is, is indwelling in someone for um, the sake of them uh, there, what am I trying to say? Sorry about that. They are filled with him and he's, his skill and abilities are helping the, the congregation at large, helping the children of Israel at large. So you see the spirit working in us for the good of the church. It's not called the church right here. This is the children of Israel out in um, the wilderness and they're building the tabernacle. So all these things need to be built. The tabernacle is the the forerunner to the temple. It's it's in the tent. It's what they worshipped in, they took with them. Um, I'm not going to get into all of that in the study of Exodus, but it's a great study if you want to read about that and how the tabernacle was built. But it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have pointed, oh, you know what, actually, I'm going to stop right there. It goes on and talks about more craftsmen, but um, this is the one I wanted to talk about. Um, because I think why I really loved this verse so much when I taught the study of Exodus um, yes, it talks about the Holy Spirit, um, you know, dwelling in this person so they could do these these works that with their hands, this craftsmanship. But I've just known a lot of craftsmen and craftswomen, um, if you will, 
you know, over the years and just what another layer they bring to, to the work of God's church. And you can see that um, in our church. And I know some of you don't go to Redeemer. You have your own churches, and I'm sure you can see it around there too. But, you know, we have just beautiful wood pieces that were created by craftsmen in our own congregation and beautiful uh, the stoles that, that, um, that the pastors wear and the garments that were created by women with such wonderful sewing talent. And other things, just from the meals that have been, pre been prepared at our church. And the I talked about in class, if you were there, we we had a night um, where a day where we did, um, it was a mission project. We made dresses for uh, some uh, little girls in you know, the other side of the world that were living in poverty. And they were very simple designs. Hardest thing I have ever done. I didn't even have my own fabric scissors. So I'm there, they're trying to show me how to cut in the lines. And I'm telling you, I really realize that that is not my gift from the Holy Spirit. But praise the Lord that he gives that gift to people and they can help the kingdom of God through, through those things because I think it's hard. But I just thought that was so lovely that you sometimes think of gifts of the Holy Spirit going, you know, to pastors, to teachers, to people in church work. And there's just so many different ways that, that we see that done. And I want to read next from the book of Numbers 27, verse 18. And that says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hands on him. So there, spirit equipping someone for the work of God. Judges 3, 10 to 11 says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. So here we're talking in the book of Judges, again, the this indwelling that comes from the Holy Spirit that he's going to equip um, his people for service. Samuel 1, 10, verse 10, reads, uh, When they arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. Spirit of God uh, giving out the gift of prophecy here in 1 Samuel. And again, 1 Samuel 16, verse 14 this is one I find really interesting. This is not just about the Spirit coming upon someone, but the Spirit leading someone. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Uh, it, we could really unpack that if that was our, if that was our purpose of this study, but um, seeing how it's not just the absence of the Holy Spirit here, but how that left room for evil spirits. So I think that above all is a reason to to have the Holy Spirit in you and not reject him and leave room for those evil spirits. And then Psalm 143, verse 10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit leave me on the level ground. Again, talking about the good spirit, the Holy Spirit. So that's one kind, that's one part of the study about the Holy Spirit, how, how we see him in the Old Testament. And how we see him in the New Testament is, is kind of, an, we see him in a role that's kind of expanded. Not that his role is expanded, but we're just finding out more about, about the Holy Spirit and how he's used in, in the New Testament. So in the New Testament, we see this, this permanent indwelling. We're going to see this at Pentecost. And we're also, in the New Testament, they talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
and fruits of this fruit of the spirit. So we have the gift of the spirit when this, and you're going to see this in a, in a minute when you read this at Pentecost. They are filled with the spirit. We have the gift of the spirit. The gifts of the spirit is is specific gifts for specific people, all different, that were given by the Holy Spirit. And let me read you some of those verses so you can see what I'm talking about on that. So the first one is Romans 12, 4 to 8. And it says, um, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do so cheerfully. I love this because just the fact it goes through all the gifts, so many of the gifts, and talks about how like a body has different members. We have different gifts. So I, I heard someone say once, like, I can't help with that. It was it was a, an older person and said, I can't help with that. They physically couldn't help with that. They said, but all I can do is give money. And that is a that is a wonderful gift. You can give generously. Maybe some of you uh, have leadership roles. Um, I know in churches, like a lot of, maybe, maybe some of you have taken this, but that spiritual gift survey to kind of help you decide, not decide, but to um, discern what your spiritual gift is, which spiritual gift is from the Lord. Um, sometimes I think churches just kind of do those to see where their list of volunteers are coming from. The purpose really is, is so you can point those out, but really just, just praying, you know, pray to the Holy Spirit, show me my gift. Sometimes I think you have to go through a few different ones to really see the one that is really gift from the Holy Spirit. And there, these are different than your talents, um, which really kind of confuses me a bit because in, in a way I think they're the same, but really you can have a talent that's not used for the good of the church. And I think that's where the difference comes in. And, and so I had this conversation with my husband. When you're married to a pastor and you're doing a Bible class, you know, he's getting those calls at, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon at church. I'm working on this and I don't understand it. Please help me with this. So um, you kind of get both of us teaching. I'm just the one who gets to be in the room, but a, a lot of this is him helping me. But talked about his gift of preaching because I think um, he's a good preacher and I think people would agree that I've heard him preach. But I also know him outside of that capacity. I've known him since I was 20 years old outside of that. And it's not really, to me, his natural gift of sorts. And I asked him about that, and he would agree. You know, I think in in a case like that, it's really a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is working through that. He can go supernaturally over and above our natural talents when he wants to give us a gift. Now, our talents can be used, obviously, to enhance these gifts of the Holy Spirit. For instance, and I'll use my grandma as an example, she had a great gift of, um, I don't know if I call it hospitality because it wasn't it wasn't about people coming to her house, although we always went to her house and she would have anybody over. But she had this gift of, of, of making people feel um, seen and uh, cared for, and she would go out to people. If anybody was in a nursing home or, or you know, um, housebound, if somebody was going through something, she'd be right there. And that is such a gift, 
But she'd also do it by bringing a, a plate of cookies. The woman had a whole cookie room. She had a plate of cookies or a meal or a rhubarb coffee cake. I always used to go back to college uh, after the weekends with the rhubarb coffee cake. It was quite famous for that back in the day. But so she used her talent for baking and cooking and her gift of the Holy Spirit for going out and ministering to people and caring for people were kind of wrapped up in the same thing. So, you know, that takes a little more study. I'm not sure always how that works with everyone, but definitely what I do understand is that is that talents can totally be separate from the work of the church. The, the work of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he gives us are to enhance the body of believers, to enhance the church, and to further um, expand that church. As we see in Acts where this, this um, the Holy Spirit is going to take the church from Jerusalem-centered out to the Samaritans, then out to the Gentiles and throughout the world. So it's, it's always expanding. Just because someone has a talent for some something doesn't mean it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, but he will use that. Um, then I want to read 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31. And this is now, again, with the theme of the body of Christ. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all the apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. All are apostles excuse me, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. So again, talking about the different gifts people have that I love, because if you know First Corinthians is going to go into how the greatest of all of this is love, um, there's also enough evidence to really point to the fact that different gifts are given at different times for different reasons. And so these gifts given to the apostles in the Old Testament may not and probably are not the same gifts that are given now. And I think that just shows us to be really cautious when we see certain religions really um, uh, making a big deal out of their healings and out of their speaking in tongues. And you really need to look at some of those and say, is this really the work of the Holy Spirit? And is there a necessity to it? Because throughout history, there's going to be necessity of different things. You don't hear one of the spiritual gifts at all being, you know, are you able to work with technology? And of course, that would fit into different kind of uh, spiritual gifts in the Bible, like administration or something. But um, there are people that, like like Rose in the office, is going to have to take this right off the recording, get onto the computer and does all that stuff for us that really enhances the ability of our church to spread the gospel because we have people like her and, and people that do sound and people that do technology, which is something obviously new. And in 20, 30 years from that, there's going to be something new coming up. So, so just as a little caution that you always have to be discerning if someone has a gift and they don't give praise to the Holy Spirit for that. And I know that really comes up when people talk about going to fortune tellers and mediums and I just recently had a conversation with someone and they said, oh, oh, but it made them feel so good. And how would it, how would they have known that if it wasn't from God? Uh, that person never said it was from God. They never gave glory to God or to the Holy Spirit. That was not done in a way of prophesying like in the Bible. So uh, beware of that. The next um, verse I want to read you is from 1 Peter 4, 7 to 10. Same theme. 
The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. This is from Peter, and Peter um, is really, he doesn't know yet that the end time is not coming soon because you're going to hear a sermon from him in a few minutes uh, when we read through it. And he's really um, assuming that, well, he is going to talk about living in the end times. Everything after Jesus rose up, and, and ascend into heaven is the beginning of the last times. We just don't know the hour or the day when the Lord comes. So that's why he's talking about the end of all things is near. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Let me read that again. That's when I, I say to myself, often in my own home even, <laughs> above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So again, we're all given different gifts and we're supposed to use those for the purpose. And then, so we've talked about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit where the people have the indwelling of the Spirit. We've talked about gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's what we just talked about, all the different gifts we have. But now I want to read the verse about Fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits. This is a, uh, not a plural thing. It's one thing. I always thought the fruits were many things. It's actually one thing. And these are, they're not gifts that we use. These are actually like personality traits. And so these things will grow in you. So let me read them. This is in Galatians 5, 22 to 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law, because obviously these are all good things. You don't, there, none of them are against the law. Then it goes on to say, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passion and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So when you have these gifts of the Spirit, this, this, this fruit of the Spirit, rather, it's going to push out all the evil desires. You see these, these personality traits really develop over time in some people. It's not necessarily everybody has these to the fullness because I don't know anybody. Well, I actually do know some people that really do. And I won't call them out because some of them are right in the Bible class that I'm teaching every Thursday. And um, But we see, at least I see, I think you would agree with me, that as people get older and more mature in their faith, and closer to the Lord, and, and more sure of, of, of that faith, that these that this fruit of the Spirit really takes root and really grows. Um, and the best way to describe it is like the, the, the gift of the indwelling of the Spirit is like the roots. And then the gifts of the Spirit is like the trunk. And then these, this fruit is exactly what it says, what comes from that. And one of my favorite passages in the Bible... When and I don't have the reference right off the top of my head, but it's when um, the church leaders were trying to confuse Jesus again and, and um, make him answer something that could be used against him, and um, so they were confronting him with sin again. You know the law of Moses, and they brought a prostitute out, and the law said she should be stoned. And so what does Jesus say? He says, you know, those of you um, that that have no faults, throw the first stone. Um, and so what, did the, what, what does the Bible say that they do? They drop the stones and walk away. But really look at it closer. It says the old men drop the stones first. And I love that part, you know. 
he was without sin and they got it first. There's something that wisdom that you gain from all your years. And you can see, I see that in older people. I see that in some young people too, but in, in older people, especially in that wisdom and they're more merciful. And, and I know Randy has said once he said it from the pulpit, but um, that um, as he gets older, he, he feels like he errs more on the side of mercy than the law in his ministry. And he said he'd rather err on that side. But it's true. I think you you see more, you become more merciful. And so that, that fruit of the Spirit is just is so much more refined. Okay, so now I want to um, continue with the events of Pente- Pentecost. So we are on chapter 2, verse 14. Peter addresses the crowd. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So many would say, and I agree, this is just one of the most perfect sermons ever preached in the Bible. It has all the parts. It has, it has obviously, a preacher that has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It has scripture, and then it's going to have application. But I feel like today, there, I guess probably throughout all of history, there are preachers, especially ones that want to be famous. Some are just famous because they're just that good, and and they've got the Lord in them, and they're preaching the Word of God, and they're holding the Bible, and they are just good. So I don't want this to get confused with just because someone has a lot, has written a lot of books and a lot of followers and everybody listens to their Bible classes, that, that's bad. That's good. That's that's proclaiming the gospel and getting it out there. But I, I think some people just like to do the application part of it. Some of it is because they don't have the education to back it up. It takes a lot of time and a lot of years to study the Bible. Um, not that the application isn't good, and with some of those preachers and teachers and Bible study writers and book writers, when you have a solid foothold in Scripture, that application in those books, I think, can really be a good companion to that. But I know for me personally, a couple years ago, it seemed like I was collecting all these books about what people got out of their journey through, you know, with God, and I just realized I needed to just go back to the Bible and figure it out. And so I kind of collected those and, and, and um, I don't know why it's terrible to say I donated them. So now somebody else has got the same books. And like I said, they're good, but you really need the roots in scripture because God will reveal everything to us. It doesn't mean it's easy. I think if it was easy, we wouldn't keep studying it. So there's nothing wrong with, I use commentaries. I've told you that week one, Use the commentaries, use the bottom, a lot on the bottom of my um, of my NIV study Bible. I use those notes a lot. I use the Bible to, to help me with the Bible. I call my husband to help me with the Bible. I read the commentaries. I like, I like the Bible Hub uh, website. It's got all the different commentaries. And if um, I'm using what other people say, I, I don't use opinion pieces. I try to always use... Um, you know, making sure that everybody's kind of saying the same thing and it's all from the Bible. doesn't mean I don't have opinions and I will give my opinions, but I'll let you know when I, they're my opinions. Like, this is my opinion. I feel like application's easy. This Bible class would be way easier if I could just pick verses in the Bible and just give you all application. It would be more fun and you'd go away with these life-changing things. And that's the problem. 
get a lot of application, go away, this has changed my life, this is, this is like he was speaking to me, it's so applicable. But it's not rooted in scripture, and your circumstances change. So you really need to know that all the scripture that that's based on. Because as your circumstances change, you still can go back to the same scripture. So um, that's just my little tirade on, on why this is such a good, a good sermon. It has all the things. And it has, first and foremost, he's going to um, quote from the prophet Joel. And also he's going to quote from a couple psalms in there too. Uh, the, again, these are Jews. They know they know the Old Testament, so they know Joel. This isn't going to really be the same kind of sermon you're going to give to a Gentile when they don't understand the prophet Joel. So the Jews know the prophet Joel, and it says, verse 17, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will see dreams. Pouring out the spirit in the last days, this is what they're living right now. Okay, Jesus has ascended. He said he's going to come back again. They're living in the beginning of the end days. They don't know when that's going to happen, and the Holy Spirit's been poured out upon them. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of, of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to me. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So he's also telling them about Jesus, because if you're going to um, preach the gospel, the gospel's got to be in it. So you're going to have to tell about Jesus dying and, and, and raising again and being raised again from the dead to take on all of our sin. They know the story. This just happened. So a lot of them were in Jerusalem when all this was happening. And then he quotes David in the Psalms. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy, Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. Now, that's the other thing, the other reason why I think he's at the temple, because David's tomb was at the temple. So he could just point right to it. It could mean it's here in Jerusalem. I think they're at the temple. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ that was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses to the fact, exalted to the right hand of God. He was received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
Um, he's using three names for Jesus here, a little side note. So Jesus is, is a name, like, a, you know, like you have a first name, that's Jesus's name. Um, Christ is his, is his role as a savior and Lord is his, um, it's like this name we call someone that's exalted, um, a, a name of royalty. So three names, but same person, obviously. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of, of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So we see repentance, filling of the Holy Spirit, baptism are always going to just, just happen in, in sequence. We see this so many times in, in the New Testament. Um, for most people, other people, like obviously the apostles already believed. So, But as we see these groups of people coming to know the Lord, we're going to see this, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this call to repentance and and baptism, water baptism, as, as an outward sign of, of the inward gift of the Holy Spirit. But I want to go to this one line that I think so many people don't understand fully until you go back to the Old Testament and why this meant so much. There are no mistakes in the reading of the Bible and the, and the writing of the Bible. So if you look at verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. And so I want to go back to Exodus verse 32, Exodus 32, verses 25 to 29. And again, this is when Moses is giving the law. And we already said that the Feast of Weeks, Shabbat, is the Feast of Pentecost. Um, and we're going we're gonna to see how they really connect with this verse one more time. So verse 25, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. So the Levites are now going to be set aside as, as the priestly tribe. 3,000 people at, at Mount Sinai were killed because they could not follow the law. Moses was up there. Those complaining people of Israel were, just, it was taking too long. They were getting anxious. They talked Aaron into having, you know, building a, uh, making a golden calf, melting down all their jewelry. And they're worshiping this. Obviously, you're not getting to heaven through the law. That's why Moses did not get into the promised land because the law never gets you into the promised land. 3,000 people were killed. But now what happens? We don't have the law. We have Jesus. We have grace. We have mercy. We have the gospel. The gospel gets you into heaven. So now on this Pentecost day, 3,000 people were saved 
because of the gospel. 3,000 killed because of the law, 3,000 saved because of the gospel. I think that's just such a great way to, to sum that up. And then um, the next verse is 42 um, through the end of chapter 2. And I apologize, I'm not exactly sure where I ended last week because I've taught this before and I didn't write down in this class where I ended. So you might get a little bit of overlap in, in, in the two lessons if you're following along with us online. So the fellowship of believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we hear breaking of bread twice. The first time it would be referring to the Lord's Supper and the second time just sharing meals together. These were, um, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. So these were poorer people. They were, you know, all now in Jerusalem. Many of them went back, obviously, to their own homes. So we have this whole Jerusalem contingent and they... They're devoting themselves to the teaching of Christ. They don't have a lot of stuff, so they're helping each other out. Some churches will use this as a specific model that, that needs to be followed to really have an Acts 2 church. You'll hear churches, you'll see on their websites, oh, we have an Acts 2, Acts 2 church, um, because they're really using these as, um, uh, as models that they have to follow. We don't see this, though, anywhere else but here, this communal-type living. This is an example of how a specific time in a specific culture, things need to be done a specific way. So the Bible's always literal. It means what it says, but you have to look at what it, what's underlying there and the cultural reasons behind why it's saying this and meaning this. And I, and I steal this phrase from others, but the, the Bible wasn't written to us. It was written for us. It was written to the people of the time. So the people at this time knew what these things meant and what they had to do. So that's why it's, again, so important learning the culture. Um, and you see just uh, they were praying. There was miraculous signs. It's just, just such a great time in the church right now. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to head south. It's going to go sour pretty soon. It's not going to last. They're going to be persecuted. That's okay. That's how God's church, is, church moves out and, and from one specific point. It's not going to move out if they're not persecuted and scattered. Then we get into verse chapter 3. Peter heals the crippled beggar. Um, we're going to pick up on that in our in our in our next study. Um, so if you if you want to read a little ahead and just see um, how Peter goes to the temple, he's going to heal a man, and this is when um, people really start taking note of what these apostles are doing. Remember, apostle means going out. They're going out to spread the news. Disciple are people that learn, you know, from other people. So they were disciples of Christ. They were learning from him, but when they went out, they're called apostles. So these apostles are going out and, and spreading the word. So I think we will stop it there today, and hopefully this recording came out okay because, again, it was from my kitchen table. So let's fold our hands, and we will end in prayer. Dear Lord, we praise you in all we do and give thanks for each other today, a spirit-filled group of women who came to learn more about you and strengthen your church here on earth. May you bless us and keep us. May you let your face shine upon us and give us peace. In your name we pray. Amen.